Have your Bible ready, please, to the passage that you opened to a few moments ago, Numbers chapter 20. Numbers chapter 20. I appreciate Darrell reading that for us and giving us some background. If you are engaged in the daily Bible reading plan that many of us use, this is where we are, in fact, today in Numbers chapter 20. And it may say right above verse 2 in the Bible that you have, or maybe above the chapter, the waters of Mirabah. This is an account of something that happened after the Israelites left Egypt and before they arrived in the plains of Moab. Now, we do not have a day-to-day narrative of those 40 years in the wilderness with every day documented. But in the book of Numbers, when you come to chapter 20, from there into about chapter 22, there's a summary account of this time frame. And this is part of that in Numbers chapter 20. We're going to begin our study in chapter 20 with verse 1, old-fashioned kind of Bible study. We're just going to go through this and see where it leads. And the people of Israel... The whole congregation came into the wilderness of Zen in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh. And Miriam died there and was buried there. She was Moses and Aaron's sister. She is identified back in the book of Exodus in chapter 15, verse 20, as a prophetess. Older than Moses, most likely the sister who cared for him and protected him from the Egyptians when he was a baby. It was Miriam who, after God took the people across the Red Sea, sang in praise to God, and we have a record of that in Exodus 15 that we'll refer to later. But one of the famous statements that she made in that praise to God in Exodus 15, Sing to the Lord, she shouted, For he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. She was a well-known lady of Israel whose loss would have had impact in the hearts of the people. Sometimes, in moments of grief, if we are not well-disciplined, some agitation can surface, some self-pity can intrude. Let's keep reading. Now there was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. Well, all of us will immediately admit that it is a problem when there's no water. Water is essential to life. But as Darrell mentioned earlier, God is not going to lead these people out of bondage, out into the wilderness to die of thirst. Did the people need to assemble themselves against Moses and Aaron in the manner that they did? I want you to keep your place here in Numbers 20 because that's the center of our study. But I want to recommend that you turn to Exodus chapter 15 that I referred to earlier. Exodus chapter 15. After God took his people out of Egypt 
through the Red Sea, defeating the pursuing Egyptian army, they had what we might call a song service. And I want us to listen to part of the lyrics and the narrative that's given back in Exodus 15. I'm going to start at verse 13 and read toward the end of the chapter. It's good background. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. This is being said to God, you see. The peoples have heard, they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as a stone. Till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. This is being said to God as they came out of Egypt. For when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry land in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing, and Miriam sang to the Lord... For he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Now listen to what happened next. This is in the Exodus account that we're looking at in Exodus 15. Then Moses made Israel set out for the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days into the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah because it was bitter, therefore it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and water became sweet. Then the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes. I will put none of these diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs of water, and seventy palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. Now, this was their experience. Back to the account in Numbers 20 now. If you're an Israelite remembering that song service coming out of Egypt and recalling the promises of God and the testing that occurred there, if you've had that experience, witnessed the miracle, you have faith in the promises of God, 
Are you thinking that now you need to fight against Moses and Aaron to get water to drink and to feed your cattle? Not if you're thinking righteously. God has said he will deliver the nation not only out of Egypt, but to their destination. He has made promises directed to all of their needs, and he's given evidence that he has the power and the will to fulfill those promises. But in giving those promises back in Exodus 15, God said, if you'll listen to my voice and do what I say. It is clear when you come to Numbers 20, there was an absence of trust in God exhibited by their rebellion against Moses and Aaron. We are back to Numbers 20 now, verses 2 through 5. Now there was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had perished with our brothers, perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness, that we should die here, both we and our cattle? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is no place for grain and figs and vines and pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Now you read this and you immediately pick up the tone. Bitterness. Hopeless. Because they're not trusting God and remembering what he said and what he did for them before. And this kind of immature attitude often is punctuated with exaggeration. We would be better off dead. Moses, you brought us out here to starve us to death, both we and our cattle, no grain or figs or vines or pomegranates. Instead of trusting God to provide for them, as reflected in that song service back in Exodus 15, they are angry and they spread anger within the group against Moses and against Aaron. Instead of trusting God, they quarrel against his servants. Continuing at verse 6. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. Now, you see any mystery there? Is there any difficulty in understanding the instructions? Take the staff. That's not the people in the committee. That's the rod. Take the staff. Take the rod. Assemble the congregation. Tell the rock to yield its water. Give the water to the people and their cattle. Simple instructions from the God who created human beings and who made rocks and made water and who was sovereign and who had proved himself abundantly to these people of his will and power for their survival. But what happened? Verse 9, Moses took the staff from before the Lord and he commanded him 
as he commanded him. Good so far. Then verses 10 through 13. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock and said to them, Hear now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of the rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. And water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me, to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I've given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord. And through them, he showed himself holy. First of all, look at what Moses said in verse 10. Here now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? Why is he asking the people? And it should not be lost on us. Moses said, shall we bring water from you out of this rock? Put that statement in the context that follows. Moses wasn't the bringer of water, really. God was. This wasn't by the power of Moses and Aaron. Verse 13 identifies where the credit goes. These are the waters of Meribah where the people of Israel quarrel with the Lord. And through him, he showed himself holy. And then there's another problem that's not just a trivial detail. Moses struck the rock. God told him to speak to the rock. Now, I know that some people stop here and say, you know, what's the big deal? Moses and Aaron were upset. They had people quarreling against them. It must have been chaos on the ground. So Moses struck the rock instead of speaking to it. Is that a big thing? Very often, men dismiss as trivial what God takes as an offense to his holiness. What happened because of this disobedience? Well, this text tells us, but I want you to open, please, to Deuteronomy 32 to notice how the consequence is identified and described in Deuteronomy 32. And I'm at verses 51 and 52. Because you, this is the Lord spoke to Moses, because you broke faith with me in the midst of the people of Israel at the waters of Meribah Kadesh in the wilderness of Zen, and because you did not treat me as holy in the midst of the people of Israel, for you shall see the land before you, but you shall not go there into the land that I'm giving to the people of Israel. And then add to this the testimony of Psalm 106, 32 and 33. This is about the people and Moses at Meribah. They angered him also at the waters of strife, so that it went ill with Moses for their sakes, because they provoked his spirit, so that he spoke unadvisedly with his lips. That's the story of the waters of Meribah in Numbers 
chapter 20. What does it mean for us? What do we glean from this narrative in Numbers 20? Turn to James 1, 19 and 20. James chapter 1, 19 and 20. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Sometimes, even when righteous indignation is justified, when people have not acted as they should act, we need to slow down and think through what a good discipline response should be. What tone, what words are best suited to serve the Lord in our response to a difficult circumstance. Moses, it says in Psalms, spoke unadvisedly, perhaps more emotion on the part of Moses and Aaron than careful thought. And the price that was paid was terrible. The lesson for us from the narrative, we need to slow down and incorporate good discipline of thought against the impulse of immediate emotion. Because it says here, the wrath of man does not serve the righteous interest of the Lord. The waters of Mirabah in this simple narrative stress again the importance of obedience to God. God had the right, the sovereign right, to tell Moses what to do in handling this situation. Moses was angry and emotional, and in those few moments, he disobeyed God. And when people argue that this was an unimportant detail, the answer to that is, when God speaks, nothing he says is ever unimportant. You can't take what God says and categorize that out into, I'll pay attention to this, but this is an unimportant detail. Everything God says is important. People love to take what God says and call some of it important and the rest of it important. Man has no such authority. While we may call something a detail, if God spoke something that we are to do, we need to get it right down to the details that he spoke. This is a simple story that emphasizes obedience to God. Blessed, rather, the Lord said, are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Trust God. I'm going to take us in just a moment to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. All valid obedience is based on trusting God. All valid obedience is based on trusting God. The people who complained to Moses were not acting on trust in God. They had God's promises, they had signs and miracles and evidence and God's admonition to them and they were singing God's praises. They came out of Egypt, but they were now not acting on trust in God. 
after God had repeatedly told the people, I'm going to take care of you. You're not going to have to worry about water and food. I'm going to take care of you, and I'm going to see you safely to the destination that I decree. God tells us in the New Testament, we will never run out of anything vital to our spiritual existence. Jesus is the water of life. And that supply to nourish us will never run out where we'll have to go to someone and complain. It will never run out so long as we trust and obey. In fact, what if I said to you tonight, that rock that produced water for the people in point of source was Christ. Am I imposing something on the text? Paul doesn't want the Corinthians to make the mistakes of the past, and so here's what he said. This is 1 Corinthians 10, 1-4. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Christ was active back then at Meribah as the source of nourishment for God's people. He is our source of spiritual nourishment today. I must trust God as I open my life up to the water of life that flows from Jesus Christ. Be ready in 1 Peter 4.11. 1 Peter 4.11. We have another point. Always give God the glory. An example... It is extremely distasteful for someone to simply do what God said to do and then engage in elaborate public self-praise. Preachers putting their perceived success on parade. Churches claiming credit for large numbers and expensive buildings. People serving others and then boasting of their service. Moses and Aaron not putting glory in the right place to God. And they didn't do that in one sentence. For us, the lesson is, always give the praise to God. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And so, we have read and studied a very sad story tonight. But there's positive value in sad stories. The value for us is, as implied in 1 Corinthians 10 by Paul, our resolve to not 
repeat the mistakes of the past. Discipline our emotions, even when we're under pressure, trying to figure out how to respond. Discipline our emotions. Regard everything God commands of us to be important, down to every detail of His Word. Base all that we do on trusting Him, and then don't leave this out. Give Him the glory. Let's be standing as we sing. Let the word depart and close thine eyes.